0: Everything, we give it all to you. you're good.
1: You sing it out. Would you greet two or three people and tell them you love them and you're so happy to see them this morning? morning, good morning, good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good. Wonderful. It's good to see you. Good to be here in the house of the Lord another Sunday. I don't know where those of you who are online may be watching from, but here with us here in Frisco, it's a cloudy, rainy day. Sometimes we don't always like the rain, but in truth, the rain is a sign of the blessing of the Lord. It's a sign that he's poured out his bounty upon us. That's why you see in scriptures at different times that the spirit is like rain coming down. They would pray for rain. He tells us in. Zechariah 10 to pray for rain in the midst of the latter rain when we see the Lord moving and the Lord raining down we're to agree with him and pray for what he is doing or what he intends to do pray for rain in the midst of the latter rain so we have a little rain here it's the beauty of the Lord You are well this morning? Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. I pray that those of you who joined us on live stream that you are well. Also, one uh, real quick announcement about our live stream. We, uh, of course, on Facebook, Vimeo, and YouTube, but I got a email and a message from Facebook last week, uh, threatening to censor some of my posts and things like that, uh, after sending out a live stream video last week. And so we have, uh, made the necessary adjustments. We're working out all the kinks, but even right now at this moment, you can go to our website, hispresence.church and you can watch it live right now. And we are um, intending to have every single week, all of our live streams on our webpage. So if by chance, for some reason, we uh, get put in, as people call it, Facebook jail, if for some reason we that happens to us, then you can still watch us live. We have many of our videos up on our webpage right now, many of older sermons, and we will be diligently working to get all of the new ones and get everything on our webpage as well. So you can go to hispresence.church and you'll be able to watch us live right now, even right now at this very moment, you can do that. And also we have all of our podcasts up on the various podcasting platforms and we will from time to time, throw some of our Sunday encounter messages, our services here up there as well, so you'll be able to get them there also. Well, this morning, as we prepare to jump into what the Lord has for us, let's uh, let's let's pray. Uh, right before I do that, I do want to, as usual, give everyone an opportunity to give. So, for those of us here, we can, if you want to, you are, when you are in services like this and you give, you have to see yourself giving through the ministry, through the particular church, giving through it unto the Lord. You're being obedient unto Him and you are coming to Him in the fullness of your trust. For years, Um, it was taught in such a way I know for me and for so many believers that I'm giving to the church. No, you are giving to the Lord unto the Lord through the church. It is his directive. It is his uh, command to us. Jesus said in John 14 and John 16, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will do what I I have said to you to do. You will do those things. And he says, and when you do that, me himself and my father will come and we will make our home in you. He says, when you're obedient to what we say, what we do, he says, will Give you the reward of us. We'll pour ourselves out upon you. Giving is the Lord's idea. Tithing is the Lord's idea. It is this aspect where we're able to completely tie ourselves in faith and in trust to him. Yes, in the Old Testament, he, he fully says that, the offering and the tithes are to care for the Levites and the priests, but it was, we give unto him the exa- exact same way that the things that he tells us to do, whether it's work, whether we play, he says, do everything as unto the Lord. And so it is with giving. It is not, I am giving to this church of this ministry. I am giving unto the Lord. And I give through this ministry in order to do it. And I, I, am, I understand that when I give through it, the work of the Lord is being accomplished. It's supposed to be accomplished. I understand that there are some ministries who are after his heart and some not as much, They're, which causes some to be good soil and others not so much. But when my heart is fixed on that. I give to the Lord. I am able now to hear his voice whenever he is saying, give here, give now, because I give to him. Tithing is his idea. He set the command and set, set the parameters, not a ministry, not a church. And so therefore, when I tithe, I tithe unto the Lord, not to the church of the ministry. It goes through them. It is unto the Lord, so that I am now able to position myself not to look at the church, at the pastor, at this ministry as my source, but my eyes remain fixed upon the Lord as my source. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, uh, uh, if you give sparingly, you shall reap sparingly. But if you give abundantly, you shall reap in abundance. It's the fullness of this idea, again, that what I bring is unto the Lord. I do it to the Lord. And therefore, it is the Lord who is now responsible for the reaping. And he says, and the Lord, Paul writes, is able to make all grace abound toward me. When I set my heart Paul writes about this as the giver, And, and, and I'm saying this because we as a body, we as the church as a whole need to take our eyes and mind off the fact that we're giving to ministries and churches and these things, and that we are giving to the Lord through, through the church, through the ministry, so that our eyes would forever remain upon him. Uh, I know over the course of the last 23 plus years that I have given in some places where it is the possibility that my, the money that I gave was not taken care of properly, but my focus is upon the Lord that I gave. And so my money there may have not been handled properly. And yet it was the Lord who still poured out the harvest upon my life. I'm not bound to a man or a woman. It is the Lord I'm after. And so Paul writes that God desires a heartfelt prompt to do it. Giver a cheerful giver. The only way we can be cheerful and prompt on time and having our heart in our giving passionate about it is when we take our eyes off of institutions, off of men and place them squarely upon the Lord for God. So loved the world that he gave. And we, he tells us in Ephesians five are to be imitators of our dear father, of our father as dear children. When we take our eyes off of. This world, what we may lack, uh, 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 men and institutions, when we do that and place them squarely upon the Lord where he can speak to us. You know, let me there's one part of this in Second Corinthians. I didn't plan on doing this. But I believe it to be necessary. He says this. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. Let each one of us, it ought to be that when I go anywhere, whatever meeting service, this is Sunday service, wherever I go, that I should have already in communion in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, had a determination inside of my own heart as to what I will do in each service and every place that I am. And when I am that way, it's, it can never be grudgingly or out of necessity, meaning when the pastor has stood in front of me or uh, another minister, an evangelist of an organization has stood in front of me And he or she gives the appeal, this giving message that I feel like I have to because I don't want to be the only one who doesn't put anything in the bucket when it's going by. Or I feel compelled. No, I've purposed already to be like him. I've purposed to respond and be obedient unto his voice because he's promised that when I'm obedient to him, that he. The Father and the Son will come and make their abode, their dwelling with me. And he, Paul writes, that God is able to make all grace abound toward you. He's able to pour back out bread for your table. So you release and give with a heart that is fully locked in. Cheerful because I trust in the Lord. He is able now to return My more than what I have given to make sure that there is bread upon my table, but not only that, that I would have more seed to give again and to give unto every good work. How many of us have had uh, thoughts or desires to give into certain organizations, to give to certain uh, 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 issues in our world that we have need of. We see things taking place and we're like, I would love to purchase that building. I would love to purchase that car for this ministry or this person, or I would love to pay off their home. And he says, Paul writes, when you step into this place, of giving because you want to be like him. You want to be completely obedient to him that you've purposed in your heart with him. You're walking together with the spirit of God. And he says, today we're going to give, he knows what's in my account. Give a hundred dollars. You're going to get 50. You're going to get five. You're going to give a thousand, whatever it may be. I've purposed with him. So before I walk through the doors, Myself and the Holy Spirit in partnership have already determined what I'm giving in that service. Or when I walk in, the Holy Spirit speaks and we, we've had moments like that. I remember there's one time I'm thinking right now, we were in a particular service in Houston, Texas at a conference and, and my wife and I have been talking for a period of time about giving a certain amount of money to a, a local pastor here in the uh, Dallas area. And, and, and it was, a in our minds, it was, this was a large amount and, and it was, we, we didn't have it to give. However, this particular service, there was a, a prophet of the Lord who got up and he was not even scheduled to speak but he happened to be at this meeting and they called him up and he got up and he began to release the words of the Lord to certain families. But he told this story. He wasn't asking for an offering. He wasn't doing any of those things, but he was telling a story on how his, he and his wife at the word, the Lord told him to fly from Mexico where they were back to Illinois uh, because he had a word for a certain young man and he was going to find him at a certain place. And all they had in their account was $500. And to find a flight from Mexico back to uh, Chicago, Illinois was going to be t- or Milwaukee. I think they flew into Milwaukee and then drove down was going to be tough, but they found one for $495. And, and they were talking about this cost and all of a sudden, it blew up in my heart that I, that we should give. And then my wife walks over a couple of minutes later and says, I feel like we're supposed to give this certain amount out of our account. And we, and I said, yeah, I, I, I agree. Let's do it. So right after the service ended, we ran to the bank to take out this amount. Now that would put us in a place where it would be tough To pay our monthly bills, but we were walking in partnership with the Holy Spirit. No one asked for it. No one put a demand. there, There wasn't this, if you give this amount, God, there was none of that. It was simply us walking in partnership with the Holy Spirit, wanting to be givers, wanting to be lovers, wanting to be obedient. And therefore we cheerfully were able to go and Almost uh, take out half of what was in our account to bring to this this local pastor, and the crazy thing is that we didn't go without that month. Nothing was missed because he says, "I am able to make all grace abound toward you, and I'm able." To put bread upon your table, there will be no lack of your necessities, but I'm also able to provide greater seed that you will be able to give again unto every good work, to every good work that he has in front of you, that he mentions and says, give here, give here, do this, do that. And that is, as believers, how we're to live. I don't give to loving him so deeply, so greatly, because here is our reward. If you love me, those who love me, Jesus says, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commands. And then me and my father will come and we'll make our home in you. I give out of obedience, love, love language. It's not duty, it's love. I give because I love you and I want you to come and make your abode with me. He tells Abraham, last last point, in Genesis 15. He says to Abram, he says, Abram, walk before me. For I am your exceedingly great reward. We obey because the reward is him. And so this morning, if you want to give, if the Lord, the Holy spirit is telling you to give this morning here, for those of us here, you can make your checks out to the father's house, Frisco FHF, the father's house, Frisco cash, cash, all those things. If you want to do uh, digital giving, we can, We do text to give. and You can um, text the word give to 737-214-4414 or you can go to our website hispresence.church and there's a giving button, generosity tab. Click there. It will walk you through the steps and you can give. You can make it a recurring one time, however you want to do it. And let us, as we do that, let us pray as we get into the word of the Lord today. And for those of you who are online as well, you can do the text to give. You can go to our website as well, hispresence.church, text to give, give, uh, text the word give, 737 214 4414. Also, if you would like to write a check, our address is right there on the website 8992 Preston Road, Suite 110 746. It's Frisco, Texas 75034. It's there on the website as well. And you can do that also. Uh, never send cash in the mail, please. <laughs> I know most people know that, but every now and then it happens. So, But let's pray. Father, we love you. And we're so grateful that each and every day, not just Sundays, you give us an opportunity to be like you. You gave, and so you are giving us an opportunity to give, to bring our tithes before you because you promised us that you would open the windows of heaven for us to bring our seed our offering offerings before you believing that you will multiply them beyond anything we could think of back into our lives granting us our necessities bread upon our table but giving us above and beyond that we're able to give again to give to the things that we long to see take place and do for your glory and your honor. So we thank you for that. We honor you. And now, Father, we thank you for this time together that you've privileged us, that you've honored us in allowing us to come and sit at your feet, to learn of you, to walk with you, to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to magnify and exalt Jesus in our midst. Peel back the layers that we might see him rightly as he really is. Unclog our ears that we might truly hear what you are saying to us in this hour and at this moment. Draw us in deeper and nearer that our hearts would beat in sync with yours. We reverence you. We magnify you. You're the only one who is worthy. We say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, since February, we have been in a series that we've entitled The Birthing Room of Revival. We continue today with and we entitle this message so to speak, Here Comes the Burning Ones or the Burning One, Here Comes the Burning One. We, We Finished last week after a number of weeks speaking about King Hezekiah and in his day doing what was fully necessary, working in partnership with the Father, with Holy Spirit to see revival poured upon the nation of Israel and reformation in and around the nation take place in his day. And we finished last week and this week we look at King Josiah, we finished last week with this note of caution and this is where we'll pick up again this week is right there from this note of caution as we step into the life of of Josiah, king the burning one and see revival take place once again in the nation and what he did like King Hezekiah too precipitated last week we ended with this it came from second kings 20 verse 16 through 19 as we looked at hezekiah whether he became comfortable or I use the word bored as I use the example of John Alexander Dowie when he was called of the Lord to be the apostolic ruler, governor, and apostle of healing in the city of Chicago in the early 1900s, late 1800s. And he was called into this city and surrounding areas. And there was a war that took place that because of his love, because of his surrender to the Lord, he won. He had teams that he called, it was called the group of the 70s. And he would send out teams two by two to every home in the city of Chicago and they would pray for people. He had healing rooms before anyone knew what a healing room was. He was arrested by the authorities for practicing medicine without a license and yet they could not hold him. And he went on and continued with the healing rooms until they were emptying out hospital wards and places. And he sent these teams around the city until everyone in the city had heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the post office and the postal union attempting to confiscate his mail as he sent his uh, um, monthly newsletter to partners all around the nation and country and everything and yet they could not defeat him as he held strong and held fast and would not be, be moved arrested multiple times until they could do no, no, no more they could not resist the spirit of the living God upon his life and he came to this place where Everyone in the city and around about knew who he was. Some of the greats of the other generals that we speak of came from under him, being influenced by him. And he reached such heights that even politicians all over the city, in order for them to become elected Dowie, it is said, would have to nod in their direction. And I said, I wonder if Alexander Dowie got bored because he had def- all of his enemies round about him had been defeated. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder that in times... Uh, something about our human nature that when we have obtained the thing that we that the Lord has placed upon us or or given to us and and when there is a fight in front of us we are able to keep going and not stop and then when we overcome as is which is supposed to happen when we walk with the Lord something in us, it seems at times about our human nature is that we feel that we can rest now. And Dowie did that and he decided to go buy land in the far north, northern area, area outside of Chicago. Know exactly where it is. It is near the Wisconsin border. He called it Zion because he was wanting to make a second Jerusalem, a Jerusalem of the West. And if you go there today, they have the street names, Abraham Way or Drive and all of these names, but the Lord never called him to that. And so Dowie died shell, so to speak, of what he once was. And I wonder, I said last week, whether this happened to Hezekiah, because he invited the enemies, his enemies, those who uh, are the kings of Babylon, and he invited them in and showed them all of his treasures and everything that the Lord had done. As soon as he did it, Isaiah comes and says, who were these men and from where did they come? Hezekiah tells them and then Isaiah immediately says, thus says the Lord. Because you have done this, your children and their children will be taken captive by these people and Hezekiah's response is that this is a good thing that it will not happen in my generation. At least we will have peace. There's a problem with that thought pattern because too often when we're waging battles, We are consumed with the winning of the war now. And we can fail to think about how to prepare the next generation to sustain and maintain the posture and the place of victorious living. As it pertains to revival, Hezekiah was basically in essence in this moment in his life after having done such marvelous things for the Lord. He was forgetting about the next generation and how to sustain the move and how to sustain this posture and place of the Lord their God being exalted in their midst because this is revival. And for us, in this day and hour, to see a third great awakening and to see us posture and be in a place where the latter rain will be greater than anything of the former, we must not only press into what He is doing and desiring, but we must teach our children how to do the same. We must. Teach them how to keep the fire burning or else what begins with us will die with us. Leviticus 6, 12 and 13 says this, And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. The Lord starts the fire. The flames of revival are started by the Lord. But he goes on. He says, it shall not be put out and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it. The fat of the peace offering verse 13, a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It is shall never go out. What the Lord begins and what he starts, it it is up to us, his priests. And I don't mean just those who stand behind a pulpit for he tells us that we, the believers are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We, this is who we are. The priest. Are to day by day keep the fire going. The problem we have had, one of them throughout our history as believers, is that in one generation that they have pressed into and exalted Jesus in their midst and had an awakening and a revival begins inside the body, But sometimes we simply focus on us and think that it is enough to carry into the next generation without fathering that generation on how to keep the fire burning and to keep the flame lit upon the altar. The reason that is so important, because in this context, from Hezekiah to Josiah, it was 57 year gap. Hezekiah is the great-grandfather of Josiah. And right after Hezekiah sleeps with his father and he dies, immediately his son Manasseh, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He, he is Hezekiah's, it says in So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. Then Manasseh his son reigned in his place. He was 12 when he became king, and he reigned 55 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Immediately he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up the altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king, Israel, king of Israel, had done. And he worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire practiced saying, used witchcraft, consulted spirits and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. In one generation, what had been done with King Hezekiah was lost. Without us focusing upon the next generation, we will return to our original abominations, the things that we done before that caused us to be in need of revival in the first place. In one generation, in less than, Manasseh led them back into all of the things Hezekiah had taken them out of. And for 55 years, Manasseh reigned. And it says that he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke into anger then his son you, you know it is this uh, thing that if we're not intentional to teach our children the ways of the Lord if we're not intentional upon it to teach the next generation I, I mentioned it when we talked about Hezekiah how he placed the people uh, uh, the the priests and the Levites, he placed them back into their rightful place because when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, where we're supposed to be at the enemy will easily oblige us and take our place when we're not intentional about teaching our children, the things of the Lord. If we think simply because we live it, they will grab hold of it. We are deceiving ourselves. Our children, the enemy is waiting to make a trophy out of our children. He is waiting for us not to do by intentionality, by focus, by purpose of continuing on what started in our, in our lives, in our generation, that they might walk fully, completely with the Lord. He is waiting for us to not do it by intentionality so that he can intentionally come in and steer them away. Hezekiah said, it is good, this is good that at least in my day, revival will still be, we will have peace. But he forgot that the enemy was awaiting his son. Look, look through history. Look through any of our modern day history and look what took place after a great awakening. Look what took place. Uh, uh, There was World War I, I believe, after the end of one of the awakenings. We had, I mentioned how Dowie was in Chicago, and when Dowie left, Al Capone came on the scene. Everyone in Chicago knows that name because they've heard it. This gangster who, everything shifted. Go back through history. I don't have the list in front of me. I have it somewhere. Of the things that took place either right before... I'll give you an example. Azusa Street. When, when Azusa Street took place and we had this great outpouring and it began the Pentecostal movement and touched the world. And right after it, World War I. And Hitler rose. When we become so entrenched, so focused and I and we should be but we have to think about the next generation after us because I tell you the enemy is. He is well aware that his time is short, but he's also well aware that so is yours on the earth. He's well aware that he's lived with your generations and around and has watched them. And if we are not intentional to say, you will know this. I will pour this into you. I will give you this. Natural children as well as spiritual. And though, if we are not intentional as we get older and older to make sure those who are coming up after us Know what it is to walk with the Lord. Look, everything in scripture. This Bible that we have, it is the history and the ways of life of the fathers and the mothers. The epistles in the New Testament, we, they are this. They are all of the disciples saying, we never had a book. We simply had the Holy Spirit. He was everything to us. We live life in the spirit. And they wrote and said, this is what it looks like. So that we could not put away the spirit and say, we're just going to focus on the book. No, they were teaching us what it looked like to walk with the spirit. This is what it's going to look like. This is what happened to us walking in by and with the spirit. They were intentional to put it down for the generation after them. Paul would write and he would write to the churches. He would write and he would say, tell the churches this. Tell everyone around you, read this in their hearing because I won't be here forever. But this, this is what your life ought to look like walking with him. In the old covenant, we have the history and we have all of these things, how they walked and what they did with the Lord and the desire of the Lord and how he pressed upon them and what he did for them, to them, in them, and by them. So we could have this intentional aspect of saying, this is what it's like to walk with him. And if we're not intentional, teach our children this living word. If we're not intentional to teach them what it's like to walk in the spirit to navigate all of these different things we have an enemy who is waiting to capture their attention, to capture their gaze and their focus and this is what happened with Hezekiah. His son And I know he was 12, but there were certain things that he saw. Uh, my, my younger children, one will be 11 in a few weeks. One will be nine later this year. another one will be seven. They can remember already little things that they've seen the Lord do. Prophetic words, healings. They they can remember. So I know Manasseh. Or I should say I can assume Manasseh saw certain things. But he returned the nation to the way before his father, the great revivalist. His son, Ammon, King Ammon. Lived in the same way. And his servants, Ammon, his own servants, conspired against him. It makes me think that Ammon was so rough and brash and difficult after Ammon was 20. 21, 22, when he took over, he had had 30 years of watching his father rule and in the way the servants of Ammon, his own servants conspired against him. How difficult, how rough, how mean must he have been for his own servants to conspire against him. And they killed him in the king's house. And then the people of the land executed all the servants. So this is the environment now in which King Josiah is made king. Josiah was eight years old. It's, 57 years since the revival and reformation in the days of Hezekiah. 55 years, King Manasseh. His son Ammon only reigned two years because, as I mentioned, his own servants conspired against him. 57 years, and the nation of Israel has returned into sin, idolatry, witchcraft, worshiping false gods, etc. And Josiah. reigned in his father's place, Ammon. He was eight years old when he became king. And he would reign 31 years. I called Josiah, I call this message, the here comes the burning one. That name Josiah, I, there's two meanings, one and one I just saw, but one is he who burns for the Lord. This one, this Josiah was prophesied hundreds of years before, prophesied about, and and we may get to that. But there's also a meaning that says the healing of the Lord flows. So out of the midst of chaos, out of the midst of all of this swirling around, the Lord sends his burning one through whom healing for the nation will come. That's important because today and in this hour that we live in, there's chaos swirling around us. There's things that we don't like. There's sin, there's idolatry, there's witchcraft inside the church, outside of it. And yet I believe that the Lord has his hidden ones, the ones who will burn for him, the one who, whom out of his healing will flow for and to the land in the same way that it did here. And as we look at Josiah's life, we will look and we will see that so many similar things he did that his great-grandfather Hezekiah also did. A generation and a half almost has gone by 57 years from one revival to the birthing of a new. I do not believe that the Lord wanted 57 years where his children did not exalt him. It is for us to recognize Either we change the cycle or we will repeat it. 57 years where they were without the knowledge of the Lord again in the land when they just had years of the Lord in their midst. Hezekiah's great-grandson, Josiah, eight years old. And here's the first thing Josiah did To partner with heaven. It's the same thing. His great grandfather did. Josiah did what was right. In the eyes. Of the Lord. I want to know what. What it was like. Because. We're in. Second King 22. But also second Chronicles 34. Second Chronicles 34 goes into a little more detail and it says that Josiah began to seek the Lord like David with everything when he was 16 years old, said eight years into his reign, which would mean he was 16. What was it in his heart? What was it about him in the conditions that he took over that he says, I want the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. I made mention of this much with Hezekiah, but it bears mentioning much again that inside of our society at times, inside of the church today, we want to, will do what's right in the eyes of others so that we can seemingly have a measure of peace and acceptance and be a part of of those around us so we can fit in. But the Lord never told us to fit in. He told us to obey. I think sometimes that we have a difficulty with obeying because growing up, we've been taught that obeying is this uh, harsh, hard word is in that either you obey or you suffer the consequences That obedience is about do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs. I get it. But when you read it in scripture, obedience is love language. It is, even when we read in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 1, where he says, if you are willing and obedient, we read it and we gloss over the line says, if you're willing and obedient and focus heavily on the obedient. But see, if we miss the willing, we'll miss the power of the obedience. Obedience, he was saying in this passage, must come out of a willing heart. A willing heart is a heart that has been laid down like a lover. A laid down lover. I'm willing to follow you wherever you go. I'm willing to do what you say because I know it's best for me. When we gloss over the willing aspect of it and just focus on the obedience, we come grudgingly to the Lord. I don't really feel like doing this, but I know I better or or else. He is not after that. He's after my heart. If you're willing and obedient, he says, you shall eat the good of the land. Doing what's right in the sight of the Lord goes beyond What everyone around us, even inside of my own household, it is about, Lord, what do you see? I want to see like you see. What do you hear? I want to hear as you hear. What do you feel? I want to feel as you feel. Obedience is this powerful picture, and I've already mentioned it multiple times, where Jesus says, if you love me, if I have your heart. If you desire me, if you love me, he says, you will obey me. It is love language. It is the beauty that I love you. And so I will be remain ever faithful to you. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, this day I say to you, I no longer call you servants. He says, but I call you friends. But here is the prerequisite to friendship. Because sometimes we think because I come to church and I, I, I dance or sing that I'm a friend of God as Israel wrote so beautifully. We sing it, I'm a friend of God. But Jesus says, I call you friends because you have heard my voice and you've obeyed my commands. You've loved me and you've done what I've asked. So therefore, I don't call you servants anymore. He says, because a, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He says, but a friend does. You've heard me and you've obeyed. Obedience is love in the kingdom. You have my best interests at heart. You love me. You're looking out for everything for me, so I'll do what you say. I'll do it Uh, 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 Abraham, he came to this place in his life where he trusted the Lord and believed in the Lord so greatly that the Bible says the Lord said to him, give me your son, your only begotten son. The Bible says that Abraham got up early the next day. He did not waste time or moment. Why? He was in love. He had stepped to this place where the Lord now was his friend. And he hearkened quickly. He got up early to go and give to the Lord what the Lord had asked of. Hebrews tells us or Romans can't remember which one right now says that Abraham counted him faithful, knowing that if he killed Isaac, he would have to raise him from the dead. Why? Because he was the son of promise. Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. In order to do what's right in the sight of the Lord, It will require that I do what's wrong to those who are around me. It requires that I will disappoint people in my life because they may be on a different page or looking at things differently. In order to do what's right, there will be people who don't like what what I'm doing. Jesus did what was right to the Father and the religious leaders hated him. There will be those around me who have tapped into the voice of the Lord who will agree and they will love me, but there will be others who do not. Jesus said, if all manner, all manner of men are speaking well of you, beware. Beware, he says, when everybody and too often we desire to get everyone to like us. I want, I, I want to be liked. We want to be accepted. Who doesn't? But Jesus warned us, if everybody is speaking well of you, you better be careful because you may not be walking the way of the Lord. Jesus said, it is impossible that offenses won't come. He says, but, but woe to the one through whom the offense comes. To do what is right in the sight of the Lord requires me to be wholly, completely, totally submitted to him and him alone. We just interviewed a friend, a brother, Keith Wheeler, on our, our podcast this past week, and I asked him. How did he begin to carry the cross across not only our nation, but the nations of the world? And and he was saying that it's not something he wanted to do. He fought it because it made no sense to him. He he felt that people were going to make fun of him and he wasn't going to be liked and all of these different things. He was going to be considered weird. And it happened that the Lord told him to take it, take the cross to a few African nations. And he told the Lord, no. And he turned on, had never watched Christian television before this particular time after saying no. And right on TBN, Arthur Blessed, the other gentleman who carried the cross prior to this, got on TV and said, they asked him what what is happening and what is going on. And Arthur Blessed said, you know, I had told the Lord that if someone else refused to do something you asked, you could come to me, I would do it. And Arthur Blessed said, and someone the Lord had spoken to about carrying the cross in these three nations in Africa. Those were the exact three nations the Lord had just asked Keith Wheeler to do it. And he told him no. And Arthur Blessed said, I will do it. At that moment, Keith Wheeler said he would never say no again. Saying no to what made no sense to the natural carnal mind. Not saying, not being obedient in the areas where he thought men would consider him weird and make fun of him. And so now for 37 plus years, he has been doing the thing that in the beginning he was concerned about, fearful of, worried about. For over 37 years doing what is right in the sight of the Lord will cause my own mind to be offended. But it is the only thing that matters. Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Second Kings 22, as well as second Chronicles 34 2, 2 Kings 22, two, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David, his father. That's our second point. Josiah walked in the ways of David unto the Lord without yielding to distraction. He walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Uh, That is so important as it pertains to us seeing a pouring out of the father in our lives and in our generation And a revival inside the church and a reformation to the world around us. We will have to, uh, I I always think about, uh, because having lived in uh, Chicago uh, most of my life, it is unlike here in Texas where you you see horses all all around. But in Chicago, the only time really in the city that you would see horses were uh, the 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 units that work with the police department and and if you were at uh an event in Chicago downtown, we would have the taste of Chicago every year and polices would there would there would be a unit of police officers who would be on horseback and the the horses as well as those carriage rides you would take the horses would have blinders. On them. Why? So that they would not be spooked or startled by the things that are going on around them. That all they could do was focus on what is directly in front of them, the way that they should go. So that if a car or someone ran up or whatever alongside of them, it would not cause them to be distracted and veer from the course that they should be on. And and if you've been on a carriage ride or seen uh, a horse pulling a carriage in an environment that is a city-type environment, it would be the same thing. He walked in the ways of David, his father David. Without yielding to distraction, the, the verses here in Second Kings twenty two two and Second Chronicles thirty four two says, "Without turning to the right hand or to the left, he was focused on what the Lord desired. He was focused on doing what was pleasing." to his father and his father only. Nothing else mattered. It was this having tunnel vision. It was, as sometimes we say, throwing all of your eggs in one basket. It was, I'm throwing all in here and I'm looking nowhere else. I'm not looking over my shoulder. I'm not looking over here. Maybe, you know, sometimes... uh, in our day we look to get into a place of significance at whatever cost and sometimes what can happen is we can begin to look over here. Maybe if I do it like this group or this person or or maybe I'll come over here and if I Do it this way that they're saying. And we begin to ourselves be divided. And and what happens is we don't even know who we are, whom the Lord has called us to be. I mentioned Keith Wheeler and it's fresh in my mind because of the interview this week. But there were not a lot of people that he could look to that had uh, carried a cross in nations. There was not a lot of people that he could look to that had lived this particular life that had gone through what he was going to go through. There was not a lot of fanfare for it. There were not a lot of cheerleaders for it. And if he looks to his left hand, if he looks to his right, if you look at what other people are doing, you will not be your authentic self. And you will not fulfill that which the Lord has desired for you to fulfill. Because you're too busy looking at this person. You're too busy looking at this group. And it does not mean we cannot glean from people around us. But we must at some point have blinders on where our eyes are fixed upon his. Our eyes look to his face. That we live life going after that which he desires. And there are certain things that if you look through scripture, I'll give you an example. Numbers 14, 21, and I mention it often because my desire, I have a strong desire inside of me. To see the glory of the Lord, the tangible manifest presence of the Lord filling the earth. Why? If you look in Genesis and if you look in Numbers 14, 21, you see that it is the longing and the desire of the Lord to walk amongst his people. The Bible says in Genesis that the Lord planted a garden. He created the garden. The garden was not Adam's idea. How does that correlate for us today? Whatever ministry the Lord is calling us to, or business or whatever he's calling us to, it is his idea, not mine. He planted a garden, and then he took the man and put him in the garden. His idea was formed. His dream was already in him, and he wrapped Adam around it. Why? It was his desire to create this oasis by which he placed man in that he could now come in and meet and commune with man in the midst of it. It was his desire to create earth and he desired that Adam and Eve would expand the borders of the garden until the entire earth became an oasis. He told them to multiply, to be fruitful until there were children upon children upon children and he himself would come meet with his children in the midst of the garden that he created. It was his idea. It's the reason when it says of Hezekiah and Josiah that they went not looking to the left or looking to the right. Without distraction, the Lord's idea for my life is his idea. And it is through that that a portion, a measure of his glory is to be released. But if I'm too busy scanning all this around me, thinking, oh, maybe I could do it this way. Oh, maybe I'll do it that way and that'll get me to where I'm supposed to be. Get them, please. Maybe if I can do it this way and that way, I will get to where the Lord Has for me. But the fact of the matter is. I cannot get to what he has for me. And where he has for me. Without doing it his way. I cannot. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Someone else's way. Because they had to do it his way. I am not them. I am not walking with them. He walked in the ways of David, his father, without yielding to distraction, without yielding to it. And I'll give this last little point and we'll pick up from this spot later. Just like Hezekiah. Josiah made the building or the rebuilding of the Lord's house his priority. He made it his priority. Forgive us, we have children just not behaving. When the Lord's house, when his ways and his desires and things become the priority of our life, we position ourselves... For the move of the Lord in our midst. I, I, I'll pick up from there next week. I just wanted to leave us with that. Josiah. He moved. He moved. He moved. He moved. To please the Lord and him alone. He did what was right. To the Lord. He didn't yield to distraction, but he walked in the ways that David, their great, 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 great grandfather, however many generations removed, lived before them. The one who had a heart after the Lord. Uh, You know, we, we say that a lot, and I sometimes think we miss what he was saying. It says... We, we quote, for David was a man after God's own heart. We read it and we quote it and we say it as if to say David had a heart just like God. The, what he was saying is that David lived his entire life to know God's heart. It was his complete focus It was his complete consumption was to know the heart of the Lord. And it says that Josiah walked like that after the Lord. Consumed with knowing him. With blinders on. Not being able to be pulled to the left or the right. If you and I are to see in this day and in this hour what we desire of the Lord we must become consumed with his heart consumed with his life he did what was right he was consumed with the heart of the Lord and he made the building of the Lord's house his only priority if we're going to see we're going to do and going to be today we must take the same posture and I pray that today in this hour in this moment we begin to bring our lives into that my longing question now is Lord what must I do to see your glory fall It was the scripture I was going to quote before I was distracted. Numbers 14, 21. And I'll close with this. The Lord tells Moses in that chapter that the children of Israel are too hard hearted. He is going to wipe them out and start over with Moses and build a a people who desire him. You have to understand that anytime the Lord, when you see that sometimes we take the wrong picture of the Lord, when he says, I I will do these things. It is not that the Lord does not love the people anymore. Anything. No, no, no. Is that he's watched the people for generations now and realizes they want nothing to do with him. He has given them opportunity after opportunity. He's laid his life down and poured out himself upon them, in front of them, done wonders, delivered them, and they say, we don't want you. We want our old life. And we think, how could God be that way? Stop now. How could God be this way? And yet, how many of us will we keep putting ourselves out to people? How long before and we're getting our hands slapped, our face slapped, and they don't want anything to do with us before we say, fine, I'll walk away. We can understand when we do it, but yet we don't understand when God, who is more, he is far more long-suffering and patient and kind and merciful than we are, says, okay, you don't want me, so I'll step back. There's a Old Testament scripture. I can't remember if it's in Job right now, Joel, but he says, the, the Holy Spirit says, I will go back to my place until you repent and turn from your ways. He says, you said you don't want me. You want nothing to do with me, so I'll return. He tells Moses he's going to do this. And Moses, being the true lover, friend, that he is, says to the Lord, you cannot do this, this thing. Because what will the people in the nation, what will the people around say? And he says, and the Lord says to Moses, I will relent of this, but they will not enter into the promised land. And the Lord says, nevertheless, even though the, the children of Israel, I have brought out of Egypt, I will not allow them, their generation to enter. He says, nevertheless, my glory It's the first place you see this written. He planted the garden in Genesis because he desired to come down and meet with us face to face. He tells them in number. He says, nevertheless, my glory shall cover the earth. It is the longing and the desire of the Father that he could come down and walk among us here in this earth, in this place, that we would create an atmosphere and an abode around us, a dwelling that he's welcomed in. He's looking for places where he is welcomed. We spend a lot of time focusing on making it welcoming for people, but we forget to make it welcoming for him. Josiah did what was right in the Lord's eyes. He walked in the ways that that, that's important. Ways means the customary fashion of doing things. He walked in the ways of his father, David, being a man after the heart of the Lord. It says not turning to the left or to the right. Free of distraction saying I want to create a place for you and you alone. I know it's catchy to say that today. That we want to create a space. We're creating a space for the Lord. But to actually do it is a whole other thing. It's going to mean that some people might not be pleased with me. If I want to create a space where Jesus is exalted again in the midst of what we call revival, a place only for him. Uh, people won't be happy. There will be people. It won't be like I myself will be offended. It will offend my own mind. It will offend and upset the religious sacred cows in me. It will upset religion all around me. But I will have to do it in order to do what's right in his eyes. And I will have to be a person. We will have to be a people that are after his heart and his heart only. It will have to die inside of us that we're after people. We're after a platform. And we'll say we can say we're not, but it will have to die inside of us that we're after anything else but his heart. It's the only way we can walk free of distraction. If I'm after a platform, if I'm after a place alongside of this person and alongside of this ministry, alongside of this group, if I'm after it and if there's any place in me that still longs to be recognized, still longs to be known, I am not free of distraction and I am not going headlong after his heart only. he was a man who walked after the ways of his father, David. David was in complete pursuit. Complete. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know he, he had some missteps, but the Bible tells us that when we repent, he throws our sins into the seat of forgetfulness. He remembers them no more. This is why he could say he walked after the ways. Those sins don't exist in the timeline of his history. All that is written is that he walked after the heart of his father. And Josiah did that. And he made the house of the Lord his priority again. We'll pick up from there next week. But it's my prayer that we as a body begin to desire only what is right to the father. Not to be pleased by everybody. Not to be accepted by everybody. But to be right in his eyes. But to do what is right in his eyes. And whoever likes it, great. Whoever does it, great. And to walk fully focused upon one thing his heart when we want his heart above anything else he comes father we love you this morning we magnify and honor you we ask you Holy Spirit to help us this morning To be courageous enough to have your strength to do what's right before you. To do what's right in your eyes. Give us the strength to stand and the stamina to withstand anything that comes against us that we might be right before you. That we might be upright and pure and holy before you. Help us Holy Spirit to be a people. Free of distraction. Free of the ability to be pulled from one way to the other. But in everything that we do. That we have your heart and your smile. And we have your pleasure in everything that we do. May you help us to focus to such a degree. As to see your glory manifest in our midst. Not just for us. But for our family and our neighbors. For our city, for our region, for our nation, and the nations of the world who need you, who long for you, who desire you, even if they cannot put language to it. Help us today, Holy Spirit, to walk hard, completely, no stops, no breaks, no turns to the left or to the right, but completely in pursuit of your heart in everything we do. We love you. We magnify you this morning and thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, bless you all. Thank you all for coming. And to those of you on social media, we bless you. We pray that the goodness of the Lord will be upon you and fill you this week to the overflow. And until next week, here at the Father's house, we just bless you, we love you, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.